Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hi there, and welcome to the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thinking. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring the science and magic of the paranormal. Over the millennia, there have been innumerable myths, legends, and actual accounts of individuals with amazing psychic and magical abilities. To a one, every culture on the planet has stories of such that are amazingly similar. All cultures, when traced back far enough, have shamanic roots. Shamanism is an ancient method for managing psychic gifts and the unseen or supernatural realms. Through comparative mythology alone, it's becoming clear that there's more to the subject that's been given credence. Widespread fascination with the occult, psychic phenomena, and magic seems to be increasing, though apparently the subject matter has to be yet to be substantiated. We can't seem to let it go. What is it about the paranormal we find so engaging? 
Could it be we sense our latent capacity to transcend the agreed-upon reality? Could magic be our birthright? If so, why has science not proven its existence? Or has it? Our next guest may have some interesting insight into the science and magic of the paranormal. With us this hour is Dean Radin, a chief scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, an associated distinguished professor of integral transpersonal psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He earned a BSEE degree in electrical engineering, graduated with honors in physics from the University of Massachusetts, an MS in electrical engineering, and a PhD in psychology from the University of Illinois. For the last three decades, he's been engaged in research on the nature of consciousness at IONS, Princeton University, University of Edinburgh, Scotland, University of Nevada, and SRI International. He's an author or co-author of over 250 scientific and popular articles, three dozen book chapters, and three popular books, including the award-winning and best-selling The Conscious Universe, Entangled Minds, and a 2014 Silver Nautilus Book Award, Supernormal. His work was featured in New York Times Magazine, and he's appeared on dozens of television shows and film documentaries worldwide. His website, DeanRadin.com. Dean, thank you for joining us on The Science of Magic. My pleasure to be here. <laughs> I understand you started out as a violinist, is that correct? I did, yeah. I I didn't even think that I might end up being a scientist until I was probably about 20. Because what do you think? I, I started playing at five, so I didn't know any better. <laughs> okay, a child prodigy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What areas of science are you involved in at this point? Well, I guess my my specialty is studying psychic phenomena. But what that means is that it's the disciplines of psychophysiology, uh, which is looking at uh, how the body responds to conscious and unconscious uh, event, events. Um, experimental psychology, which looks at things like cognition and perception, physics, primarily optical physics, because we use those in studies involving mind-matter interaction, uh, statistics, uh, and several other disciplines. So it's a, it's a mishmash of a number of different disciplines, but they're all focused on the notion of what is the mind actually capable of. What drove you in that direction? It was primarily curiosity, because as you said in your opening uh, bit, the stories about these kinds of abilities have been around since recorded history. And lots of people, even today, even in, in a completely secular context, talk about things like telepathy and clairvoyance. And, and so, I mean, since I'm trained as a conventional scientist, how could you not be interested in seeing whether those kinds of things are, are true or not? So many years ago, almost 40 years ago now, I started to do experiments on these phenomena. And to my surprise and delight, I found that the, from an experimental point of view, you can show that they actually do exist. And then of course phenomena. I was hooked. Phenomenal. Well, we'll pick up with how we can prove they exist on the other side of a quick break. Dean and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs 
songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an eight-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is scientist and author of Supernormal, Dean Radin. His website, deanradin.com. Dean, we were just starting to get into a very interesting topic to me, and that's why every culture talks about these supernormal or um, abilities, and yet we tend to discount them. Why do you think that is? It's primarily because uh, science has created a, a worldview, a certain way of thinking about how principles hold together to describe reality. And within the scientific worldview today, these kinds of abilities, we're talking about psychic abilities, they're very difficult to explain. And so if from a, a point of view of you look to the authority on truth about the nature of reality, you have two places to turn. You either turn towards a religious source or you turn towards a scientific one. From a religious perspective, most religions fully accept that these phenomena exist, except that there's, they're viewed in supernatural terms. Supernatural meaning it's something like divine. It's sort of godlike. Well, when you turn to science, science completely rejects the supernatural perspective, and there's no other way of fitting it in to the scientific worldview. And so on one side, you have complete belief, but not in a scientific way. On the other side, you have complete disbelief from science. So if you tend to be a secular person, you won't see any way of understanding this. Isn't um, with, you know, the quantum physicist and quantum physics, quantum mechanical physics, isn't that starting to bridge between the two? Well, there is an opening. There's like a crack in the door with quantum physics, because unlike classical physics in the quantum world, there's something peculiar about observation, measurement and observation. But this is a highly contentious notion within quantum physics. You talk to 100 quantum physicists and you ask them questions about uh, how does the quantum world uh, begin to understand psychic phenomena, 99.5 uh, of those quantum physicists would say it has absolutely nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. the, the half of a person who thinks maybe it does is we're going to refer to the observer effect. And this is the, what is a known and accepted thing within quantum mechanics, which is not well understood, which is that systems at the quantum level behave differently when you measure them than when you don't. And so that's the tiny little crack in the door. There's something about consciousness or awareness that seems to play a role in the physical world. And so it's in that little crack in the door where we see maybe there's an opening. Well, it's also a fly in the ointment, isn't it? Because if indeed the observer effect is accurate, doesn't it make all scientific studies um, faulty? Yes, and that's one of the reasons why, from an epistemological point of view, science has has stiff-armed 
the idea that maybe some of what we're doing is being created by our mind, because that would be a major taboo within science. So that, yes, that is one of the reasons why people don't like it very much. <laughs> what have you personally seen or experienced that influenced you to delve deeper into the science behind magic? Well, I think like most normal people, you, you, we have precognitive dreams. We occasionally have a feeling of telepathy. In, in my case, most of these kinds of phenomena are what might be thought of as an empathic sense. Like uh, I'll get a pain in my body, no cognition about it, just simply a pain somewhere or a sensation and find out that uh, someone in my family was having trouble, which was manifesting in them at that place. So as an example, one time I started getting a really bad pain in my uh, upper right chest and I, I never had a pain there before. I had no idea what it was. And I learned then that my father was having a gallbladder attack, which he never had before. And but it happened at the same time. And he was 3000 miles away. So that's the way that these kinds of phenomena usually occur to me, uh, that and also precognitive dreams. What do you think is the soup that connects us together over distances? Well, I, I'm beginning to think that it is something about the nature of consciousness that we don't understand very well. Uh, some have called it the, the glue that holds together the fabric of reality. Uh, I kind of suspect that, uh, and, and you actually, there's a, a trend now within science to reconceptualize reality in terms of information. Mm -hmm. Information is really close to what we think of as consciousness. Uh, and there others think that maybe reality is mathematical. Well, what's mathematics? It's a symbolic language. So again, it's a kind of information. Mm -hmm. So if the bottom of reality is below physics, it's information, well, then that kind of suggests it goes along with the perennial philosophy, which says that basically at the bottom is consciousness. If that's true, then consciousness is before space and time, because space and time arise even above quantum mechanics. It arises in the classical physical sense. And then that would give us a better understanding of why would psychic phenomena be true? Well, it's because they're coming up out of consciousness, which is before space and time. And it's that the one strange thing about psychic phenomena, which makes them so difficult to understand, is that they transcend space and time. So you can see how you can start piecing together a jigsaw puzzle that suggests that these kinds of phenomena are reflections of consciousness and not having anything to do with the, with the rest of the physical world. So basically what you're saying when you're talking about information, if we take it down even further, we're talking about frequency. And so we have, you know, uh, mechanical frequency or mechanical waves that need a medium to propagate in. And then we have electromagnetic waves, which can travel through time and space. And then beyond that, we have scalar energy, which transcends time and space. Is this the kind of stuff you're talking about? Uh, kind of, except that uh, for, at least from a, a physics perspective, frequency has very specific meanings. And so when you start going from known frequency effects like in, in sound and in electromagnetics, and then into scalar terms, where it's no longer the same kind of frequency, we begin to blur physical meanings of frequency into metaphorical ones. And so this, this then becomes difficult because our language starts to break down. 
So I personally don't like to use the word frequency because I think of it in terms of physics, uh, but I understand that it, it has a kind of metaphorical uh, purpose for describing it as you go into more and more subtle domains. And isn't um, our language built around our belief system? It isn't, isn't all that what needs to break down anyway in order to embrace more of the truth? Well, absolutely. We're limited by what we can describe, and the vast majority of our language is based on everyday reality. So if we don't have words or concepts to be able to describe what happens when you step out of ordinary reality, well, then we get stuck very quickly. And then we have to move into metaphor, which is what the the uh, shamanic societies have used for millennia, right? Right. So <laughs> the what's important, though, I think, is to discriminate between when we're transitioning from ordinary language into metaphor. And one of the things that, that uh, makes scientists uh, crazy is that the that distinction is not always made very clear. So yes, I go ahead. So I, so that's why I, when when I write articles and books and so on, I, I try to make it very clear that I'm talking from the point of view of a scientist where I need to be precise about what it is that I'm talking about. And if I need to move to a metaphor and make it clear that that's what I'm doing. Got it. So what do you think can be gained by bringing science and magic together? Well, the first thing is that uh, psychic effects and magical effects, which are basically various forms of psychic effects, uh, they they simply are here. So like anything else that science does, science studies the nature of reality and, and our, our place in it. Uh, science to date has kept, has pushed these kinds of experiences, which are part of being human, has pushed it away. And so it's left a gap in our understanding of reality, a very big gap, maybe a fundamental gap. Yeah, so say, I think it's yeah. I think it's important for science if it's really going to try to understand everything, which is the the aspiration anyway, uh, to include all possible effects, including these kinds of unusual experiences. And so that's why I've pretty much dedicated my career to using the tools of science to see how far we can actually understand about the these unusual experiences, or actually they're not so unusual. They're they're quite usual. It's just that they're they're anomalous so far. And if we if we don't believe they exist, we are unable to take advantage or understand them, right? Right. So yeah. one of the one of the paradoxes here is that virtually every survey of the general public, which includes scientists, uh, on anonymous surveys show that most people, the majority of people, believe in these phenomena because it has happened to them or mm-hmm. it's happened to somebody whom they trust. And right. yet within this, the academic world, you are forbidden from talking about these things. You cannot talk about it. The clearest way that you see the taboo is that there's roughly 15,000 institutions of higher learning around the world. And of those 15,000, there are approximately 40 institutions that have at least one faculty member who is known for having an interest in this topic. So that means over 99.9% of the entire academic world doesn't even have a single person who is known for having an interest in this topic. And that's, that's crazy. That's, that's crazy making, isn't it? You know, I, I have to tell you, I'm a preceptor for the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Mm-hmm. And I teach uh, the docs there about the interface between shamanism and, and allopathic medicine. So there is movement in the right direction. That's great. 
That's great, isn't it? Um, we've got a couple minutes left in this segment. You talk about superpowers. What do you mean by that? Well, a superpower is uh, anything that a normal person can do, but a whole lot better. So an, an Olympic athlete is a kind of a superpower because not mm-hmm. very many people can do that. Right. Uh, but if you push it, then we're talking about uh, psychic effects that are under control, under conscious control. And that's super because it's pretty rare. Yeah. It's, um, what all kinds of superpowers are there? Well, even vanilla telepathy, if it were actually under control, it would be a superpower. Uh, And then, of course, we have clairvoyance and precognition. But if you push it even further, especially into the domain of the yoga uh, skills, then we're talking about things like levitation and invisibility and being able to use clairvoyance to see at the microscopic scale to the cosmic scale and those kinds of things. I find a lot of commonality between uh, the ancient practice of yoga and the ancient practice of shamanism. I mean, the the abilities to control these things have been around for millennia, haven't they? Yes. At least the stories about them have been around forever. And stories are cross-cultural, which gives a little bit more credence to the possibility that there are actual effects that are being described. Uh, The problem with historical records is that they're always embellished. So... One of the reasons I take a scientific approach is to see if if these phenomena are really real, can we see them in the laboratory? Because once you can do that under controlled conditions, then you have a reason to start believing the, the ancient stories. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Do the controlled conditions um, tend to inhibit them sometimes, do you think? Absolutely. Every time you do an experiment in, in the laboratory, it's an artificial construct. It, it mm-hmm. is constraining the nature of the phenomena itself. So Absolutely. what you lose in the, in the magnitude of the effect, you gain in the confidence that it's real. Got it. We're going to have to take another quick break here. Dean and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So don't you go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our very special guest this hour is Chief Scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, Dean Radin. His website, deanradin.com. Dean, we were just getting into something that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is proving... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise 
exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Um, these superpowers scientifically. What studies have you done? What have you found? Well, let me give an example of the way I would approach an experiment and then give the result. Perfect. So many of us have the, the experience of uh, taking a certain route to work, and we've driven that thousands of times, and we know that there are intersections that may be a little bit more dangerous than others. Uh, so we're, we're careful when we drive to work, except it's difficult to maintain uh, perfect vigilance all the time, and pe people's minds will wander. So sometimes you find yourself riding to work, and you know that there's an intersection coming up, and you'd have, you get a bad feeling about it. And it, it, again, it's not a cognition. It's simply a feeling that there's something not right about that intersection. So you slow down. You have a green light and you slow down and you go really slow, like the other uh, drivers are becoming annoying or they're annoyed with you. And then as you approach the intersection, somebody blasts through the red light from the other direction. And if you had kept going the usual speed, they would have hit you broadside. So you saved yourself by paying attention to that strange feeling. Well, I call that a presentiment. It's a pre-feeling effect as opposed to a precognition. So the question is, how do, you, how do you study that kind of phenomena in the laboratory without putting somebody at danger? And it turns out that within the, the realm of psychophysiology that there are many, many studies that look at uh, the modulation of emotion and what is happening to uh, unconsciously in your body itself. So in the mid-1990s, I came up with an experiment where you, in the laboratory, you sit somebody down in front of a computer screen and you wire them up to measure things like their heart rate and their skin conductance and blood pressure and all these kinds of, of measurements. And you record that continuously. And then when they're ready, they press a button and five seconds later, there's an image that pops up on the screen. It'll either be a calm image like an ashtray or a tree and, or to be an emotional picture, like a picture of a car wreck or surgery or something like that. And then uh, the picture stays there for three seconds, and then you have a cool-down period that, that's maybe 30 seconds long. And then the screen says, okay, now we're ready for the next trial. So over the course of 20 or 30 minutes, you might see 40 pictures, all selected at random. So you don't know, and the, even the experimenter doesn't know in advance what you're about to see. The reason for doing this is that you, what you want to do is simulate uh, being out in the real world where something horrendous is about to happen to see if you can detect in the body the equivalent of a bad feeling. And so we know how emotion pushes your heart rate and it pushes your skin conductance. We know a lot about how the nervous system responds. So what we hope to find in this kind of experiment is that before you see an emotional picture, the, the, the portion of your sympathetic nervous system is beginning to gear up. It's, it's precognitively feeling that you're about to get a shock, basically. Mm -hmm. And before you get a calm picture, your body remains the same. 
It doesn't change. So we started doing these experiments, and we found very soon, very quickly, that you get a huge effect. I mean, much wow. bigger than we normally would get in a laboratory experiment. And this was kind of, it was pleasing, but sort of shocking as well, that it was relatively easy to show that physiologically, roughly five seconds before an emotional event, your body changes. Wow. You know, that, that, that brings to mind something that I've always wondered about. In my shamanic studies, um, it's the entire person that's used for the practice, not just the mind. And in our, in our society, we think of, oh, it's, it's, it's going to be the mind. It's mental telepathy. It's all about the mind. But what you were just describing is the entire physiology, uh, physical, mental, emotional, and uh, esoteric or energetic that's responding and, and giving you messages. Is, is that true? That's true, yes. In fact, almost all of the experiments that show big effects in the laboratory do not involve conscious uh, or mental effects. They're all having to do with, with physiology or with what's called an implicit measure. And these, so the, what you're doing is you're pulling away from the conscious, normal conscious awareness. That's like the worst place to look for psychic effects. You want somebody to be dreaming or drumming or dancing or looking at what's happening in the body unconsciously. That's where you see these effects, and it's fairly robust in the laboratory. So basically, in our in our Western society, where we're so mind-oriented, we've put the cart before the horse, because the mind's job would be, the way you're talking about it, would be to translate the information it's getting from all the other realms. Well, certainly the conscious mind acts in a sense like a filter against these phenomena. Because, I mean, if you think about it, if, if you're, from an evolutionary point of view, if you're walking around in the forest uh, and you're paying an enormous amount of, of expanded awareness to tigers that happen to be 2,000 miles away, you might miss the one that's directly in front of you. <laughs> so we are shaped. Our conscious awareness is shaped by evolution in such a way that we pay very close attention to here and now. And that excludes there and then. So all ah. of the psychic and mystical awareness is all about there and then. So it's the, the shaman are the unusual people who can consciously access there and then, but they're also not that great at taking care of themselves. So <laughs> you need a society that values that some people are going to be different, like shaman, and they will be taken care of. Whereas in modern society, we don't have that anymore. You could be a flagrantly psychic person and actually not be doing very well from, because you won't be perceived as being grounded. And, and so we don't know what to do with those people. They're, they're devalued, which is, a, which is a pity. It is. It is. How much scientific research has gone into supernormal abilities? Well, over about 150 years, starting roughly in 1882 in England, uh, that was the first organized scientific society. And since then, roughly 3,000 experiments have been published in, in journals. Uh, at any given time, there's probably about 100 people around the world who are actively engaged in a scientific way looking at these kinds of phenomena. So it's, it's not yeah. a huge amount. I mean, it's not millions of people that, that are involved in this in a scientific way, but there's been a, a continuous stream of people looking at this for a very long time. If science has already had evidence of superpowers over however many years, why are they still being ignored and discredited? 
Well, as I said, the scientific worldview that has been developed uh, for about four centuries uh, doesn't know how to explain these effects because consciousness is only very recently considered to be a valid topic in the academic world. So that's one reason. The other reason is that from a religious perspective and primarily Catholicism, but other religions as well, these phenomena are accepted, but they're considered to be demonic. And so from both sides, you have suppression. You have suppression from religion, you have suppression from science, and that doesn't leave much room for anybody else except for the occasional iconoclastic scientist like myself. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I find interesting, Dean, is that while superpowers are scoffed at, um, it's still illegal at this point to practice shamanism in many countries. And in, in the USA, the Native Americans were forbidden to engage in their medicine practices until as late as the 1980s. So mm-hmm. if there's no power, <laughs> why all the effort to suppress it? I, 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 smell, I smell something here. <laughs> well, as I said, from a religious perspective, the, all of these phenomena were completely accepted, but only if they're done within the constraints of the church. So priests, Catholic priests, are allowed to do miracles, like the Eucharist is literally a magical miracle. Whereas uh, anybody who is not a priest and doing it outside the, the confines of the church would be considered, considered heretical and heretics were burned. So there's a very long thousands of years of suppression from the church point of view. And as I said, from the scientific point of view, it's a a taboo because these phenomena are considered to be supernatural and science doesn't deal with the supernatural. So it's excluded by by definition. In the case of uh, laws against witchcraft and laws against use of shamanism, that mostly comes out of religious backgrounds. It's objections from religion. I mean, look at the Catholic Catechism has very clearly written prohibitions that you do not do this stuff. So for people coming from a religious perspective, you're you're simply forbidden. You're not allowed to do it. It sounds like control in both in, from both sides, right? It's an issue of control. Well, it's certainly control from the religious side. From the scientific side, I think it's more about sustaining the status quo rather than something like control. I mean, sustaining a, a, a status quo in terms of ideology. Well, I guess, well, maybe you're right. Maybe that's what's going on in, in, in religion as well. It's maintaining control of ideas. Control of the common denominator belief system, which creates reality. Right. Yeah. Do you think we all have the potential to develop superpowers? I think any creature that is sentient can have some degree of these abilities. And actually, we we know that that's the case because we've done presentiment tests with animals all the way down to earthworms and and actually even recently planaria. So we know that this is not a human-centric ability. It's seen in in dogs and cats all the way down to insects. So this suggests that it has something to do with the capacity to be aware, in other words, consciousness. On the other hand, we know just as there are Olympic athletes who can do things that we can't do, that there's a certain talent for these phenomena. So my my guess is, based on a lot of laboratory research, that the talent that we're dealing with is roughly distributed the same way that any form of musical or sports talent is distributed. You're going to find some people who are incredibly good, but rare at the top end, 
And you're going to find people at the bottom end who are completely psychically blind. They can't do anything. But the majority of people will kind of fall somewhere in the middle and they'll be able to do a little bit. You know, if you watch the animals, it's amazing. They're connected. If you ever watch a pack of coyotes hunting together, they're connected. If you watch a big flock of birds flying together, they'd have mid-air collisions all the time. But they're connected somehow. And yet we've lost our interconnectedness, I think, to our extreme detriment, don't you? Well, there are cases, though, when we've studied collective consciousness in groups. And we, we see this, especially in sometimes sports teams and sometimes choral events mm-hmm. or big um, uh, ceremonies where people report afterwards that they felt something strange. They felt right. elect- electricity in the air. They felt they're in the zone. They felt a, a gelling of, of the collective mind. So we're social creatures as well. And on occasion, we can pay attention to the fact that the group has become coherent. And so a part of our research program is, has been looking at collective consciousness and seeing if we can measure what is happening when people report these somewhat unusual instances, when they feel like the, the mind uh, coalesces into a, a giant mind. Yeah, I've experienced that in, in musical performance. It's like when, when a group is really together, it's just magical, isn't it? Right. And yeah. you see this in, occasionally in sports teams, too, where, where right. a, a team that might be uh, basketball or hockey or something that are, are just normal. We're going to have to pick up on the other side okay. of a break. Dean and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to all professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Again, our guest this hour is Dean Radin. His website, deanradin.com. Dean, what are some of the uh, dangers associated with displaying uh, superpowers? Well, it's interesting, and you look at the uh, historical record, primarily in yoga is where it's clearest, Uh, and you look at the uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which is one of the first written forms of yoga about 2,000 years ago. Uh, Part of the Yoga Sutras is all about these yogic superpowers, which they call the siddhis. So part besides describing the various siddhis, uh, there is a very explicit prohibition about talking about them 
and also about demonstrating them. And the reason uh, within that tradition was that if you start showing your superpowers to other people, it will inflate your ego and power is extremely seductive. So the, the stories that we see more in contemporary society is uh, stories like in Star Wars where you have Darth Vader. So Darth Vader was a Jedi Knight who started using his powers in a bad way and you get pulled to the dark side. Within the magical traditions, you have black magic. These are people who have, may have some ability, but they start using it to harm others. And you, you get pulled away very quickly by the seduction of power. So the warnings are partially meant to tell people that uh, you need to be careful about who you demonstrate this to, because you will get sucked down really fast. I like the way you say suck down because in, in my experience, there's checks and balances to power. In other words, mm -hmm. the, the windows, the light's only as clear as the window through which it shines. So power can be accessed um, to greater degrees the more processed you are and the more balanced you are. And if you start going in, into an imbalance, which is a place where you become exploitive, the power tends to not be as accessible. Have, is that written in there? Have you seen any reference to that? Uh, are, are you referring to the idea that uh, the, that the more advanced you are, more enlightened you are, that the more likely you will be using these abilities for good and not for bad? Yes. Yeah, I think that's actually not true. I, I think that the, these abilities are simply a reflection of the natural world. There's something that we don't understand very well from a scientific perspective, but it's the same thing like... Uh, somebody could say, well, if we really understood atomic power very well, then you'd never make a bomb out of it. But that's <laughs> not true. It's a natural thing. You can make a, a power plant out of it or you can make a bomb. That's our choice. So when you're, you're dealing with a phenomenon of the natural world, it is up to us or whoever's using it to use it for good or to use it for bad. And I don't think there's anything inherently within the nature of the phenomena itself that would prevent that with one proviso. The proviso is that the, the realm that we're talking about is one that is fully interconnected. So if you use your, the ability to harm somebody, you're not, it's, they're not isolated from you, so you're harming yourself. So normally you would think, well, nobody wants to harm themselves except that there are people who want to harm themselves. So again, I think, uh, the notion that you can't use these abilities at a higher level is probably not true because there are people who are not like normal people. Uh, but in general, I would I would hope that that is the case, but I'm, I'm more doubtful given that we make atomic bombs. <laughs> yeah, that's enough to cause a little doubt, right? Um, are our paranormal abilities evolving at this particular time in history, do you believe? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think the... Phenomena have been here forever. Uh, if anything, now what's happening is uh, we're becoming more and more distracted. I mean, if you, if you go almost anywhere now and there's a bunch of people around, the likelihood is that over 90% of them will be looking at their cell phone. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're distracted. And these phenomena require a, a meditative state, a deep internal form of, of attention and that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing a, a direction going completely opposite. So 
I think the capacity is there. The capacity has always been around. Uh, but I don't think at this point that we're actually evolving into a direction where people are becoming more sensitive to this. That being the case, how can we as individuals develop our superpowers? Well, the, the safest way historically is meditation. And in the old days, meaning 1960s perhaps, uh, it wasn't that easy to find how to meditate because it was considered sort of exotic and Eastern. But now every side street has somebody who's teaching meditation. And there's there's hundreds of books and great uh, audio programs and even uh, smartphone apps, all of which are pretty good at, at teaching how to do meditation. And that is the first step. So because, again, all we're, we're dealing with here is the nature of consciousness. And we're talking about a deep form of consciousness which anybody who has awareness has the capacity to eventually get to. And the, the way to do that, the safe way, is meditation. You could also do shamanic practices, and you can take certain drugs that will do it. Uh, but I always promote meditation because it's the safest and most time-honored way of doing it. You know, uh, one thing that I've noticed in our more uh, fast food society and a lot of the New Age practices, they're taking a lot of the old forms, but just taking a little bit from this form, a little bit from that form, and kind of going off half-cocked. It's, it's like a, a shortcut. Do you see that happening, and do you see any problem with that? Well, you're right, that there, there are shortcuts that are being used now with things like uh, neurofeedback and new kinds of brain stimulation methods. I don't see any problem with it. Uh, it, it, the only danger at this point is that, especially for brain stimulation techniques, we don't know what the long-term consequences are of that. Whereas, by comparison, meditation is a, a slow process. A very small percentage of people, it's not good for. Piece of, like something, somewhere around 1% of the population who begin to meditate can have psychotic breaks. I mean, it's, it's a powerful technique. But for the vast majority of people, it, it will have benefits both mentally and physically fairly quickly. I mean, there's a ton of papers now in the medical literature showing that this is a good thing to do. What is not so prevalent in the, the mainstream literature is what it does if you continue to meditate. And that's where you start pointing towards the uh, spontaneous arising of these kinds of abilities and much further down the line, perhaps if you're lucky, enlightenment. Mm. So... That's part of the traditions, of course, but it's not yet within the scientific and medical literature very much. Well, we can we look forward to the day that it is, right? Yes. <laughs> what effect on agreed-upon reality will it have to prove and accept the existence of paranormal skills? Well, this is a very interesting question. And uh, I think in order for society at large to begin to accept not in a religious sense, but in a, a scientific or a secular sense that this is simply part of the natural world, and we have a grasp on how to use it. When that happens in a large way, society will change very quickly, and it won't be pretty. It, it's like any disruption that happens in society initially is chaotic. And, and the reason is easy to explain. Let's say that uh, we, we, a miracle occurs and we figure out how to make telepathy really good. Not, not the brain-oriented methods that are being used now, which are called synthetic telepathy, but real telepathy. When that happens, then it's not possible to have secrets anymore. So imagine what happens to politics with no secrets. And imagine what happens to interpersonal relationships with no secrets. 
and to the whole justice system. Everything would change radically. So you can't introduce this kind of idea quickly because it would literally destroy society. It can't operate under those conditions. So it would have to be rolled out very, very slowly. And the case can be made that what's been happening over the 150 years of science looking at this, that it is rolling out very, very slowly. It's rolling out over generations. So maybe it'll take another 100 years for science to get really, really good handle on how these phenomena work and how to use them and slowly introduce it at a very low level in the general population until we get used to it, because otherwise it would be a disaster. It looks like a disaster that we're actually on a head-on collision with one way or the other, wouldn't you say? Unless it's done slowly. So we've seen that society can do very radical changes in things like uh, race relationships and gender identity and things of this that even 10 or 15 years ago we would have thought were impossible. Well, now they're becoming the law of the land. Another example is legalizing marijuana. So things do happen. But what looks like a fast change may take half a century or more. There's a huge amount of background material that slowly creeps into the societal mind. And then suddenly you see a change, but we're prepared for it. How do you think we as individuals can best prepare for this change? We have about a minute left or less. Uh, Read what you can find. And there's plenty of of really interesting research on these topics. uh, And meditate. That's hmm. that's the two primary methods. And I'd suggest getting that wonderful book of yours, Supernormal. It was a great book, and thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are you doing next? My next project is a book on magic that is coming out early next year. And that is literally the science of magic. So it fits well with your program. Oh, fun. Well, we'll have to get together on that one. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dean. You're welcome. Our guest... Our guest this hour has been Dean Radin, Chief Scientist at the Institute of Nodic Sciences, Associated Distinguished Professor of Integral and Transpersonal Psychology, and author of Supernormal. His website, deanradin.com. This has been the Science of Magic. For in-depth exploration of numerous topics, join our email family at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you engage your superpowers.